The most dangerous sex act in marriage is the act We are really excited today. This is Valentine's Day and we have a special treat for you today. We have our internationally known authors of Bedroom Talk. <laughs> Over a million copies sold on the New York Times bestsellers list. <laughs> They've been on talk shows all over. They have, they have hosted seminars, and, and they have done all of this. And so we're just delighted that we were able to get on their schedule. We were able to get on their schedule for today. Amen. And so we have brought them in, and we are honored. And it's, it's going to be a wonderful treat. I understand that it may get a little explicit, so I think they're going to ask some of the kids to leave, and they'll give you instruction when they come up, but I, I, I think it's going to be a little explicit. <laughs> and if you read their book, you'll know that they do not hold anything back. They don't hold anything back. So we're excited to receive today on this Valentine's Day. The marriage ministry of our very own Minister James and Stephanie Bronner. And Pastor asks that um, any of our youth ages um, 15 and under. He's at under the age of 16. And he asked them not to be in the session today so we wouldn't have to hold back anything. So if there's anybody under the age of 16 other than a baby that couldn't understand, we're going to ask you to just line up here at the, the door. And I tell you, that's, that's when the young people really want to hear the, the, the minister then. They said, no, we read it. They'll be attentive on stuff they're not supposed to hear. So any other time, they don't want to be in church, but when it's time for them to get out, they're like, Daddy, please let me stay in here. <laughs> I tell you, I don't know why that's human nature. <laughs> I thank Peter for putting the rolls on the background because I had to substitute that for my wife this morning. I had ordered her some roses, and they didn't get here because of the snow, so I had to get her one here. <laughs> But she will get them on Monday at least. Amen. Amen. Well, if you'll bow with me for a word of prayer. And also, if you're listening via internet, and if you have anyone listening below the age of 16, we ask that you send them to another room as well. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you this day, O oh Lord, for your presence within this place, O oh Father. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing within this hour, O oh Lord. Not just this physical hour, O oh Lord, but this spiritual hour, Father. Lord, and we ask you to be present and move today, O oh Lord, during this service. And we thank you, Lord, for being the true love of our lives, O oh Lord, for 
Thank you for our relationship with you, O oh Lord, as the bride of Christ, O oh Lord. Thank you. Thank you. For it's the only relationship that will be eternal, O oh Lord. For even you said there's no marriage in heaven, O oh Lord. So we thank you, Lord, for an eternal relationship with you, O oh Lord. One that is more important than any other relationship, O oh Father. For it is the only one that will last through the eons of time. And Lord, we pray for our couples today, O oh Lord, as we know they're under attack, O oh Lord, that the enemy has chosen to attack the family, O oh Lord, and starting with the marriage, O oh Lord. So we pray, O oh Lord, for just our angels of protection over our marriages, O oh Father. And we pray, O oh Lord, for you to send your anointing, O oh Father, into the hearts of your people, O oh Lord, this day, O oh Father. That it'll be even as the snow, O oh Lord, that even in places that were cold and slick and dangerous, O oh Lord, that you'll send the sunshine of your love, O oh Lord, into the hearts of man and woman, O oh Lord, husband and wife, O oh Father, to melt away those things, O oh Lord, to take away the dangers and the risks, O oh Father. For Lord, we pray for your love to flow in, O oh Father, even as a river, O oh Lord. For the word says that you are love, O oh Father. Love, O oh Lord comes from you, O oh Father. And we pray, O oh Lord, for you to pour yourself out into households, O oh Father. This day, O oh Lord, to, we pray, O oh Lord, unto the true love doctor, O oh Father. The only one, O oh Lord, that can fix a broken heart, O oh Father. The only one that can undo hurt that was done by others, O oh Lord. So we pray, Lord, for you to just mend the hearts, O oh Father, of your people this day, O oh Lord, and minister in spirit as we minister in word order. These we ask in Son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Welcome to Brothers of the Word because brother... And sister, you need the, the word. word. Hallelujah. And today is Valentine's Day here at the Ark of Salvation. And it's not only Valentine's, but it's my wife Stephanie and my anniversary, 13th wedding anniversary. Hallelujah. And it's been a Beautiful and wonderful 13 years. I thank God for every year. In those 13 years, we've produced seven children, ages 12 to 2 years old. So doesn't she look good for seven children? Amen. And we're also the authors of the book, Bedroom Talk, How to Turn Your Marriage into a Lifelong Love Affair. And this book is available at hitbooks.com and Many of the things that we will be speaking on today are in the book in more detail that you can pick up there. And today we'll be conducting a question and answer session on relationships. And this is what Pastor has asked us to do on this day. And we received almost 40 questions uh, via email from the members at the Ark as well as the members of Mountain Wings. And due to time, we'll only be able to answer about 14 of those. So we tried to pick ones that were applied to more people than specific questions. And because of that, we may read a little more than normal because we're trying to stay on track here so we can finish and yes. get you all out of here at a decent 
time. So we will begin and I'll take the first one is actually a comment that I thought was very good that I would like to read. And this one is from sent in from Greenville, North Carolina. And it says February 14th will mark the 62nd anniversary of the meeting of my beautiful wife of 58 years. And it says the secret for having a long, successful marriage is to become the right person for each other rather than finding the right one. God is yet to make the perfect one. So don't waste valuable time looking for something that doesn't exist. Amen. So that's that's 62 years of experience talking now. So I wanted to read that. Okay, this question is from Atlanta, Georgia. What does it mean when a man breaks up with a woman because of many problems that occurred in the relationship, but yet he says that he needs to see change in order for us to get married? If the relationship is over, then why wait for change and still behave as if we're still together? We've been together for over a decade. Should we just part ways? Is he hanging around until he finds what he is looking for? The answer, quality of woman is important. Quality of man is important. Some men see the wonderful attributes in a woman and only has a problem with one or two characteristic traits and feel that if these can be remedied, then the relationship will be wonderful. For instance, if the sex is good, if the money she makes is good, and if the love she shows him is everything he loves, but, eh, but she has a flirty personality and he can see that many other men might be interested in her too. He would be afraid to commit because of the thought of cheating, having that in the back of his mind. Or she has a problem with letting her, with letting her money and his money be blended because he's not the best with his funds. He or she is thinking that if I can just get this one problem resolved, they will be marriage material. Or she is not cooperative or submitted in the dating relationship, then he knows that there will be greater problems in the marriage relationship. Amen. Next question sent in from Reading, Pennsylvania. How important is it to take a good look at your significant other's family, especially the parents, before making marriage plans? Are they loving, caring, godly, so forth? Here's my answer on that. (laughs) Almost all marriages in the Bible, they considered the family when they went about picking a spouse. And even though it seems less heart-based, Uh, manner of doing it. They had much much less divorce than we do today. Uh, Nobody's family is perfect. We all have flaws in our families. But what looking at the family can tell you is what type of environment that that person grew up in. And it will often help you understand many of the ways that they act and think. Sometimes we get into marriage and we say, what in the world wrong with this person? It'll help you to understand a little bit better. And even psychologists, when you lay down on the couch, the first thing that they do is they go back to your childhood and they start asking you about your parents. And they're trained professionals in this and they've looked at the most successful way of doing it. They look at your upbringing and they try to get to the root of your adulthood problems based on things happen to you growing up. Mm. So if they do that as professionals, it shows you the importance of it. And if a man grew up around only unfaithful men, And it can sometimes put in their heads that it's okay to slip out and get your little extra on the side every now and then. If a woman grew up around only shopaholics, then most likely she's going to get a good feeling when she goes out and and shops. And that's going to 
interfere with the money in many cases. Oh, yes. I hear some of the men say, oh, that explains it. <laughs> the other factor in this is you'll have to deal with those in-laws on a regular basis. And you'll also, you all know the horror stories about that point. So you, you've heard those. So that's something that you will have to deal with directly. And before I asked my wife to marry me, I took a good look at her mother and father. I asked a mother's co-workers, you know, what, what kind of person is she? I looked at the way they communicated in the home and all type of things. I looked at her siblings even and saw how they were in their marriages. So it told me what type of ground that she came out of. And if you can see what type of ground and what type of, of, of tree and what type of fertilizer was put on a seed, it'll understand what type of fruit will come from that tree. This question is from Canada. Why do we forget the couple's needs when raising our children? And then once the children are gone, we fa- we're face to face with a stranger. How do I'm sorry. How do we relight the flame of love that is so badly neglected? This is a very frequent problem. And unfortunately, the problem falls mostly on the woman's side. Wait, hold up, women. Why is that? Because all of the responsibilities of the home and the child fall upon us. Now, in bedroom talk, we talk about the prostitute, the babysitter, the maid, and the chef. And that's all the the roles and the hats that a woman wears within the relationship. And what happens is we get so bogged down with the things of our home that when it comes time for romance and for us to go out and have a good time or even to just sit and watch television, we're looking at all the things that have to be done instead of wanting to spend quality time with our spouse. There is a remedy, and I don't know if the men will like it. It is to help out a little bit more. (laughs) I know that work is hard, and I know you want to come home and just have a peaceful evening, but mom has also had a hard day and needs for dad to come and participate in some of the household responsibilities. So if the flame is dying and it needs to be relit, there is a way to do it by a collaboration of efforts. So mom, if dad is coming home and he's tired, rub his feet a little. Get him, get him comfortable. And then dad, after you've had your hour of relaxation, then help mom with the dishes or preparing dinner or getting the kids ready for bed. And then once the kids are in bed, guess what? The two of you have more time to relight and rekindle that flame. Amen. The next one is a doozy here. It's from Decatur, Georgia. And it's, is it a sin to masturbate? And if you're not a virgin, is it okay to have premarital Six. I want to know who sent this in. <laughs> I would have to answer this question, I tell you. <laughs> we got some rough ones today. Amen. The Bible does not specifically list masturbation as a sin anywhere. The, the scripture most often referred to concerning masturbation is the story of Onan over in the book of Genesis chapter 38. And some wrongly interpret this passage to talk about masturbation. But actually, in this story, Onan basically, he used the withdrawal method while having full sex with his deceased brother's wife. And God judged Onan because he didn't fulfill the Levitical duty of carrying on his brother's bloodline, but wanted the pleasure of his brother's wife. And that was the law, and that's the part that he didn't do. So he was not pleasuring himself. He was actually having full sex. And then when it was time to put the seed in, 
he let it spill on the ground. So that was actually not masturbation. So he was breaking the law because the law said that he had to carry on his brother's bloodline if his brother was killed. And some also on the flip side of that, they incorrectly used the familiar scripture to, to relate to masturbation. And this is found in Matthew 6 where it tells you, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So, <laughs> that, that might have gone over some of y'all's head. But that, you, that, that'll catch up with you in the car. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> that was what he was talking about in that scripture. So let me let you know that right now. <laughs> I see someone, I thought I I had one with that. (laughs) But where where sin comes into masturbation is with the heart sin of lust. Uh, Lust enters in when masturbation is combined with pornography or fantasizing about sex with another person that is not a spouse, as Jesus described in Matthew chapter 5, when he says that if you look upon a person even lustfully, then you've done it already in your heart. And this heart sin of lust must be guarded against with or without masturbation, to be honest, because without masturbation, Mm -hmm. natural energies can build up in the body. And the more sexual energy that builds up in the body, the harder it is to actually control your your sexual thoughts. So that's why teenage boys, they seem to think about sex all the time because their hormones are are raging. And when the most known Christian family psychologist James Dobson was asked about masturbation. Uh, this is what he had to say. This is in quotes now. It's not me. This is James Dobson. He's the most famous Christian family psychologist. He said, despite terrifying warnings given to young people historically, it does not cause blindness, weakness, mental retardation, or any other physical problem. He says, if it did, the entire male population and about half the female population would be blind, weak, simple-minded, and sick. (laughs) And he says, between 95 and 98 percent of all boys engage in this practice, and the rest have been known to lie. (laughs) End quote. So that was from (laughs) Dr. Dawson on that, from Focus on the Family. So that that wasn't me. Now, that was Dawson. Now, as far as the second part of that question uh, regarding premarital sex, if you are not a virgin, the Bible says in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verse 18, to flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? Which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And there are many other scriptures that talk about fornication in the New Testament. And dictionary.com and wikipedia.com both define fornication as voluntary sexual intercourse between two unmarried persons or two persons not married to each other. So that should answer that very clearly. And also keep in mind that with all these acts of fornication, you are linking yourself to that person. So be, be cognizant that when you go into a relationship and if you've had several sexual partners, you're bringing those people into the relationship. There is a form of, a, of deliverance from that, but you have to come to the body of Christ to have those soul ties broken off of you. This question comes from Dover, New Hampshire. I had a hysterectomy some years back, and I just can't get into the mood day after day, week after week. 
Aside from hormones, can you please suggest something physical to assist me? Thanks. I can tell you that the problem you speak of is not just because of a hysterectomy. Many women with all their organs have the same exact problem. If I may be honest, without a lot of eyeballing, I have to also get myself in the mood. Um, I do a lot at home. I'm a housewife. I run another business, and just sometimes you're just too tired. And outside of this, this is, this is a song I learned as a child. I think many of you African-Americans know this song. I'm not going to sing the whole song, but it helps me to get in the mood. And it starts off, I met a boy today, and it goes into him inviting me behind the fence. And when I was little, my parents heard that song, and they thought it was awful. And it was. It was a terrible song. But now that I'm older and I'm able to sing it, then it really does help me mentally to get in the mood to, to have fun with my husband. Amen. And, <laughs> <laughs> and also, um, I have a, a very vivid imagination, and I like to use fantasies. Um, I like to do, be a, for him to come home, I call him from lunch on occasion to be a computer technician. I'm having a computer problem. I have, you know, I like for him to be a doctor. Just many, many different things. I'll change my name. I'll become a different name. I'm not going to tell y'all my names, but I like to become a different person, and it makes it fun. It actually helps me to lose my inhibitions that I had as a child and to bring on a little more flavor into the relationship because I don't want him to ever get bored, and I don't want to be bored. So I do a little extra Um, And on the medicinal side of um, hormone replacement, I also use their product. It's called Mail Drive. It is a product that he developed for his friends that complained of erectile dysfunction. It contains all the natural aphrodisiacs of the earth, and they actually work. I take those at noon, and by the time he comes home, I'm ready to get it on. Ah, can I get an amen out the man? <laughs> you got no when to say an amen in the church. <laughs> all right, the next question is it's another doozy. I don't know how I got all these doozy questions. <laughs> it says, within marriage, is it a sin to watch pornography? And what about oral and anal sex? And what can this type of behavior do to a marriage? Let me, let me get another little sip of water for you. <laughs> All right, here we go, here we go. <laughs> Pornography leads the mind to lust after another person since you're watching sinful fornication take place and it can enter into the mind and it excites the body. And even Jesus warned against looking upon a woman, even with lustful eyes, as we talked about earlier. It can lead to desiring the, your partner less or comparing their bodies and sexual acts with those that they see on the, the screen. So that's some information about where it can lead. As far as sex acts that are allowed in marriage, uh, we've been asked that question a lot of times before. And I've heard some big pastors, even some bishops uh, at some different conferences ad- address this issue, and I haven't agreed with all of them. They, I, some of them, they forbid everything from oral sex to even different positions. So they, and this is coming from the pulpit in a lot of big places. So, But we personally uh, don't go any further than what the Bible says on the subject. The Bible says that the marriage bed is undefiled, so we don't try to put what we believe on people and limit them 
because this is an area where they really need to be free in. And, it's, and, and I tell you, and if, they, if they go outside of that marriage bed, they're not going to be going by any rules. They're going to go out there and do everything they want to do. So the marriage bed is undefiled. So the Bible only lists one thing that defiles it, and that is adultery or fornication, which is having sex with someone married or single who is not your spouse. The Bible also commands men to love their wives. So any act that makes them feel forced or tortured would not fit the command of love unless it's a fantasy. And, you know, you're just doing it for play play. You know how we do sometimes. (laughs) But other than these two, uh, we don't put any restrictions on the marriage bed since the Bible doesn't. And the most dangerous sexual act in marriage Repeat this now. This is mo- the, the most dangerous sex act in marriage is the act of abstaining for too long. Paul warns marriage couples in 1 Corinthians 7 not to deprive each other from sex other than for brief periods of mutual agreement for spiritual reasons. And if sex isn't frequent enough or if it's too boring, it becomes even more dangerous than pornography in marriage. Because it leaves the spouse vulnerable and dissatisfied. And without even watching a screen, their mind can begin to create his own fantasies. And many times, these are going to be fantasies about people that they, not that they don't know, but these are people a lot of times that they do know. That they might be working with or live near or socializing with. And then that leads to the risk of flirting and then into action under that. So every couple that has ever come to us for counseling has always had a problem in their sex life. And it had become too infrequent for one of the partners. So we've never had a couple to come to us. And the main problem was the sex was too freaky. So a lot of times people worry about all of these other areas, but they don't worry about the thing that causes the most problems in marriage. And that is the dissatisfaction with it and the infrequency. And this is what really causes marriages problems and to other temptations to come in upon one spouse or the other. My main quote and what I tell myself every day is I don't ever want him to leave hungry because there's some woman out there who's willing to fix him a full course meal. So I try to keep him satisfied, you know. Hallelujah. This is a question. um, This is a six-part question. So if you don't mind, I have to read it to stay on point. We don't have long. If a woman was to call your spouse the first day after she gets her separation from her husband, do I have a right to be concerned? This is one part. Before I answer this question, I must ask another question first and give an explanation. Was your husband very promiscuous before you got married? Was he involved with a lot of different women and always called them friends? But you suspected more. Before you, all of this before you said I do. If yes, then you have a man possibly with soul ties and a longing to have more than one woman. This calls for deliverance from soul ties. And this topic is covered in the book, our book, Bedroom Talk. Concern should only come if you're not kept in the loop of the conversations that he's having with these women. Ask your husband if he can counsel, if you can counsel with him on the phone as well. If he is really trying to help her, then the two of you can do a better job than him alone. If a, this is the question. If a spouse is having emotional, quote unquote, affairs with a woman and you ask him to stop and he doesn't and lies to you about it, isn't that wrong? Of course, lying is always wrong, but you have to communicate with your husband because he may not realize that he has emotional affairs with these women. 
This is the same person, by the way. Next question. If he flirts and leads women on saying that, and, and he leads women on and just says, that's who I am. But if I were to flirt once, I am accused of doing wrong. Lots, this is the answer. Lots of men have double standards. Communicate with understanding, not with accusations. Ask him when and why he started this counseling behavior and if it has ever reconciled any of the relationships. Ask for honesty and see if he gets any pleasure from talking to these women. He may be getting much needed encouragement from them when they say, I just wish my husband was more like you. How well are you encouraging him? I see that we're almost running out of time and I'll finish the other portions of that question, but I think he wanted to tap on the online dating. I'll let him do that. The next one is, what are your thoughts on online dating? And this is a very good question that I haven't heard dealt with a lot. And this is a very common issue now among singles. And my take on it is that everything else is online, so why not dating? And we even minister to multiple times the number of people here at the Ark of Salvation than we do in physical attendance. So if you can be introduced to Christ online, then why not be introduced for an initial meeting, at least, to a child of Christ. So that, that's one perspective on it. And I do know several married couples in the church that met online for the first time that are still successfully married now. The number one reservation people have with online dating is safety for the females being the main concern. And many of the dangers of men, though, are the same for on or offline. Most rapes occur from men that women know. They don't come from online most of the time. Mm-hmm. And think about it like this. Um, if you went to the, the store and you were coming out of the store, headed to your car, and the guy stopped you and, and gave you a line and asked you for your phone number to see if we can hook up sometimes. You don't know if the name that that guy is giving you is right. You don't know if he's a deranged criminal. You don't know if he's married or not. You don't know any of the details about this guy. The only thing you can verify in person is their appearance. So even though it feels a lot more secure to you, it actually, in actuality, is not. And I found a solution to even make online meeting even more safe than a personal meeting than I just described. And there's a service called HonestyOnline.com, and it will verify a person's name, address, age, and the credit card with the address, and the criminal record, all of these things based on their online profile. And it'll take in and ask all of the same report, uh, the questions that a credit report asks. I mean, the, the female will not have access to the detailed information, but it will, they will verify the profile information and tell you if everything is accurate. And then once you get that verification, they'll give you a, a unique uh, identifier to this person, and you can, if you're going out with this person on a real date or even before you give them any details about your personal self, then you can simply uh, email a friend of yours uh, the person's information that you're going out with and have that person call and check on you the next day to make sure everything was safe with it. And that way they have a verified person that they know you were going out with. It's always best to meet in public places and carry a cell phone with you in case something feels fishy and you need to get help from others. The second concern people have with online dating is honesty when it comes to pictures. And to get around this, they have even a a service called DatingHeadshots.com. And they actually verify the person, uh, the picture. So they verify the identity when they come and... uh, 
it'll give you an accurate representation of them, and, and you can use it if you want to portray confidence for somebody else. Our time is out now for the television audience, and we're not nearly finished. We have some other juicy things that we want to share with you, so go to airjesus.com and put in message number 8221 and hear the rest of these Valentine's question and answers because we feel like they'll really bless your relationship and you need to hear the rest of these questions and answers. So be sure to send it to a friend even. We thank you for tuning in today here with us at Brothers of the Word because brother and sister, you need need the the word. And even talking about the, the picture representation of people online, uh, I can, it made me think about even the movie Friday that had Chris Tucker in it. And he was hooked up with a girl and he went to meet the girl and the girl that told him that uh, she looked like Janet Jackson when he asked what it looked like. And he, he said, when the girl got out of the car, he said, you, don't look, you look more like Freddie Jackson than Janet Jackson. <laughs> 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 Got to get it verified. (laughs) And as far as online sites, uh, Match.com is the highest rated site for online dating, and it has more people than any other site. And they have it where you can even specify Christian there, that it'll sort to that. But of course, that doesn't prove anything. But neither does meeting someone in a church, because you don't know people's real relationship with Christ. Some people come to church just to scope out other single people. So, yeah, so you still, until you get to know a person and know their relationship with Christ, like a lot of these things they just attribute with online, but in offline, they're actually the same way. You meet a guy at the club, you don't know any of these things, but for some reason we feel safe just (laughs) because it's physically there. And there are some advantages with online. First of all, there are more people that you can meet. I mean, most of the people, they work in the same place every day. They might go to the same church. You, you come in contact with most of the same people every day. So it opens up your range of people that you can see their profiles and go through, and you can weed out incompatible things in a fast manner. Second thing is it allows you to be a little more at ease. It's, sometimes if you haven't been dating, it's, it's kind of hard to talk to a person face-to-face if you're out of the practice. Sometimes it's easier to start it off online. Number three is... You won't have to give them your personal information. Like I said, if you meet somebody, the only way that you can hook up later, you have to give them your phone number or something. So they have personal information and they can track sometimes addresses with and all of that. On Match.com, they give you an anonymous email as well as an anonymous phone number. So you can actually communicate email and phone without that person having your information. And that's important because if you continue talking and realizing this is not someone I want to develop a relationship with, then they don't have your real phone number. It, it cuts it off right there without you being bothered. But if you give somebody your phone, your cell phone number, and you want to cut it off, and they say, I'm going to be persistent. They're trying to make it hard to get, but I'm, they keep calling you. How many of you have ever had that happen? Somebody got your number, and you don't want You're like, how else do I tell this person? I'm, I'm not interested. You know? <laughs> Sometimes you tell them, I'm not interested. They're like, what are you trying to say? You know. <laughs> so with this, you don't have to deal with the hassle of, 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 of getting rid of that. Since everything is anonymous until you have determined that this is somebody that is, you know, has serious potential, then you give them the real email or phone number. But it handles that all anonymously for you. The fourth advantage it has is if you don't have to go to environments that are ungodly. 
Most of the places people think about to go to meet singles outside of church, they have secular music playing, secular dancing, and, and most of the times a lot of alcoholic beverages when you really think about these places and these, these circumstances. So those are four advantages, and there are pros and cons of, of both ways, but those are just some things to think about that many times we don't hear both sides of things. So I wanted to give you all some other alternatives there. This is the continuation of the question about her spouse. Um, um, also, I want to reiterate, because I left off, it is important for us as wives and women to just encourage our men. The gift of exhortation is so great, and it is so needed in our homes. Many of these men are going out and having extramarital affairs because the women are giving them the praise that they don't get at home. We're so focused on telling them what they're not doing that we're not giving them the praise even for just coming home. Giving them the praise for putting the money in the bank, for going to work every day. I mean, even if it's just taking out the trash, you know, just whatever you do. I remember when, when Sister Tracy told us that she just really gives Pastor Charles a real boost by just telling him how awesome it is that he's taking out the trash. His muscles are strong. But I don't know what that does for him. I mean, I just know that it is important for us to use our gift of exhortation. If Eve can pull Adam away from God in disobedience just by her words, imagine how much more we can do just using our words to build our man or our husband up, even our fathers. It's just important for us to give the gift of exhortation and encouragement. This was her next question is, if my spouse is caught lying and says everybody tells small lies, and it's always about other women. Am I supposed to believe that this is true? The answer. Well, he is partially correct. Most people do lie at some point or another. However, it becomes a problem in the relationship because you can't trust him if he's doing it a lot. Why does he not feel comfortable telling you the truth? Usually when he answers this question out loud or in his head, he will usually find that what he is doing will disappoint you or make you angry because he feels guilty about it. Whenever there is guilt, everybody say, whenever there is guilt. Whenever there is guilt. God wants you to think twice before doing it again. God wants you to think twice before doing it again. And then this final question from her. If he gets an email from a woman and I say, I don't know this person, and he says, me either. <laughs> And then I email her back and find out she knows him and is married and wonder why. And I'm wondering why he denies knowing her. Am I being a fool? No, not exactly a fool. It sounds like your husband is getting gratification from other women and talking to them fills a void of some kind. Sometimes it is from the lack of wife giving proper praise and exhortation. Other times it is from soul ties and prior multiple women attachments that he is used that he is used to and needs deliverance from. Yes, there are a lot of men who perform extramarital affairs, but it begins somewhere. And let us begin in our homes as of today, February 14, 2010, to allow our mouths to be encouraging instead of discouraging. The next question is, how do I get a man to talk to you in a calm manner about what is bothering him? How can I, who likes peace in the home, ask my husband to go to anger management classes when I even suggest that he has a problem and he gets really angry? Amen. 
I, I had to really pray on this one because most, most of the resources on this is, is when you recognize you have a problem and they, they're giving you techniques for anger management. But her question is, if the person doesn't think that they have a problem then, and they get mad when you tell them they do have a problem, how do you? <laughs> so techniques won't really work in this case because they don't think they have a problem. And these are four things that placed upon my heart to do in that type of situation where the anger problem is not acknowledged in the person. Number one, pray to the Lord consistently on it. And I've made changes in my marriage just off of my wife's prayers. And there have been times when she's seen me doing stuff and maybe been picking up my clothes on a consistent basis. She's like, why are you doing that? And I, I don't know. I just felt led to pick it up. And, and, it, and she just really just touches her because she said, that's how I had been praying. I hadn't mentioned it to you. God just worked with you on it. The Lord will do it. And she's seen multiple things like that. Well, she hasn't mentioned them to me, but because she's consistently prayed about it, God has just molded my heart and placed it upon my heart to do it. The second thing is to keep your house filled with peaceful worship music. I can step into some houses and even without hearing a word, I can feel a spirit of tension just in the atmosphere of the house or the other houses you go into and I can just feel the anointing there without hearing any music or anything. So I can feel the, the atmosphere, the vibration of what has occurred there. The atmosphere carries tension or it can carry the anointing. The anointing breaks the yoke, but tension causes strife. And even Saul, he, he was relieved of the spirit of rage by just David playing his heart with no words. Just him playing that music. It got rid of that angry spirit upon him. So keep your house filled with peaceful worship music. And also use the fruit of your lips. You can just be washing the, 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 the dishes and say, I exalt thee. And that thing will fill the house. And my mother used to do that. Just, I mean, it would be hard for us to be mad. And we're just hearing that praise going forth. And, but when you try to confront him, it, it stirs up that spirit. So you have to, I mean, music can calm the, the, the savage beast. So just fill it with your own songs as well as other praise music that is peaceful, that will change your atmosphere. Number three technique. It's when discussing matters that may inflame, keep your voice extremely calm and the volume low. Uh, Voice tone is contagious, and I've heard people arguing, and they say somebody is yelling at them, but they couldn't hear the emotion in their own voice. They're like, well, I'm not yelling. I I just feel there's still emotion in it. And and if a person has an anger problem, it, 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 it stirs it up, and it's contagious. So... Just pay extreme careful attention on your voice tone. Just, just make it peaceful, calm, keep the volume, no matter how loud they get. You keep it calm without emotion and keep the volume low. And it will, it will show the difference between the two clearer. When you keep a calm and, 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 and if you're coming yes. back at it yes. with, a, with a violent tone, it helps. And my mother, and even if you, if you have problems doing that, then the other thing you can do is it's just be silent. Uh, that's, that's, my, that's a technique that my mother used to use on my father. And his, his temper would, would flare up whenever he was stressed at, at, in the business. And he would be blowing steam off. And, and she would basically just be quiet. And, and after a while, I mean, he would find himself, since she wasn't saying anything, he would tell her what she's thinking and argue back against that. And, and, after, and after, after about 10 minutes of doing this, he would start to feel silly. He's looking at her just peacefully, and he's just arguing back and forth. And, and after a while, he's hearing himself, and it just it made him feel silly. So that's a technique that you can use. And also be careful, even if you're silent, 
be careful of your facial expression and your attitude. Yes. And your, you, you can be sitting there silent looking like... <laughs> you know, that, yeah, that, that, that says a whole lot. It, and that'll stir them up in my... What you looking like that? I know what's... You know. <laughs> so, so make sure you just keep a peaceful look. You know, someone, they, they got the hand on it. They, they looking them up. They, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they look like they want to fight. So... So you can, so even be cognizant of your, your, your look because that makes a, a, a big difference even in rolling the eyes and lip to all type of stuff. So look, tone, all of these things, they, they can just stir up a problem. The, the, the last fourth thing on that, before I let my wife talk on it, if you, can, if you can't get them to counseling, another way is to make a deal with them. You've tried everything else. You can make a deal that you'll make a positive change that he wants you to do in an area and also offer to go to counseling with him so it doesn't feel like it's just a problem that you're saying that he has. So, for instance, if he, if he wants you to, to lose some weight, say, I, I tell you what, let's improve this marriage together. And if I work out twice or three times this week, um, will you accompany me to, to go to anger counseling so that we can learn to communicate better? And that's one way. And if that doesn't work, then another one you can try. It's the last resort. You can say, I really don't feel like I've been pleasing you enough sexually lately, but a, a lot of that is because I'm not in the mood after we argue. So can we go to counseling together so we can improve our sexual frequency? And that changes a whole different mentality versus saying, I, I think you need to go to counseling. You know, you just... You, you got a problem. I mean, and that's the way a lot of times it's approached. And, and then it's a, it's a battle there. But this is a whole different spirit. And it allows both of you to, to make changes. And, and you're going with them so it doesn't feel like you, you make it where you want to communicate better. Both because like you're dealing with a temper problem. And see, an, an angry spirit is not rational. And the slightest little thing will blow it up. So it not, even though the problem may be all on one side, I'm just telling you how to best deal with it. I'm not saying that it's not all on one side, but I'm teaching you how to more, most successfully to deal with it. Okay. Um, my husband and I have been apart for more than three years. He was in a different country, and we are soon to be reunited. And I want to blow him away in bed. How do I make this an experience he will remember for the rest of his life? The first encounter after more than three years. Answer. First of all, he's just going to be happy when he gets you again. And the name of an excellent book, which is in our book, um, in the reference section, is How to Be a Great Lover, Girlfriend to Girlfriend. Totally explicit techniques that will blow you away, will blow his mind. Even though it's saying girlfriend to girlfriend... It's, it, le- it really does outline it in detail to tell you some different things you can do. If you've been married and you feel like things are drab or dead, get this book. And just if you don't like some of them, just turn the page. Try something else. But never let your mind be complacent where you are. And this book is by Lou Paget. L-O-U, last name P-A-G-E-T. The final question that I have today is from York, South Carolina. It is when is it acceptable to get a divorce? And we had multiple people writing in with different situations. So instead of dealing with the individual situations, I just combined them here into this one. Um, Malachi chapter 2 verse 16 says, I hate divorce, says the Lord God. And he really, when he designed marriage, he really designed it 
for a lifetime of the couple. So that was God's intent for marriage, that the two shall be joined, letting no man put asunder what he's joined together. The only two circumstances that the Bible allows for divorce are for sexual unfaithfulness, number one, and abandonment by a believer, number two. Other than that, the Bible does not have any recorded permission for divorce. And I realize that there are other situations where it's not good to be in the same house with a spouse, like when abuse is taking place or some other things, like habits. The Bible is is silent on all other reasons relating to divorce, but it doesn't say you can't separate in those instances. A spouse who is being abused should get themselves and any children out of harm's way immediately and find a new temporary home. The abused spouse should not return home until counseling has taken place and the counselor has deemed it safe for them to do so. So those are, that's what the Bible says, and I'm not going to add anything to it. I'm not going to give a personal opinion. So we're ministers of the gospel. So telling you what the Bible says on it and what you can do in some of the other situations. So that's it. Okay, this is another question from Canada. How do you know when you are ready to get married? This topic is also covered in chapter three of our book. But it says you will have a desire to be with this person at all times. You will be comfortable with all their decisions in life and being a part of those decisions that they make and have made for themselves. You will be comfortable with their actions and the way they treat family members and common workers, their mothers, sisters, waitresses and maids or people in blue collar employment. You won't mind sharing all that you have with them and feel comfortable at their level of income alone. You will agree with or not mind their religious and political views. You will be comfortable bathing and changing this person's diaper if they were to become ill. You will feel respected and trust this person with your life. And, and you will also feel comfortable that they feel the same way reciprocated towards you. The next question, same person. How long should you have been together? How long should you have been together for? That was our question. In our book, we talk about courting and dating and the difference. And this, the response for me is after courting, which is knowledgeable dates, that you are intentionally dating to become one, that you are going to get married and this is the process of getting to know one another. He doesn't, he's not saying you're just his girlfriend and you're saying he's your fiance, but it is a, a, a two-person agreement that this relationship is a an engagement to get married. And then it says, after you have been together long enough courting to answer all of the before questions, what if one set of parents has reservations? Answer, in our counseling experience, the parents have always been right. God placed a level of responsibility on the parents to raise and nurture his children. And the parents can see more inside of a person from the outside than you can during the relationship with them. It may not be that this person is not good for you, but that you may not be good for this person. And they can see a level of uncomfortable living that may come in later years. So sometimes mama can see that you're a little high strung and that he's a little too low key for you. And she might not recommend this person for you. And you're just thinking that she's saying ain't nobody good enough for me. But that we have been given responsibility over you to make sure that your life is successful. Her next question, how do you get over the fear of being hurt again so that you can increase your emotional intimacy? 
Answer. In the workbook section of the book, there is a ceremony that is to be performed to remove soul ties and unforgiveness. These feelings that you speak of are spiritual attachments that need to be removed and broken off of your life and will remain until you do a physical and spiritual cleansing to release them. Okay, I'm out of questions, but since she has one more, I'll make some comments here that'll help your household. And uh, We haven't mentioned anything. We didn't get any questions about children. And sometimes children can cause strife in the marriage. And so I want to give you a resource uh, that will help your entire household. And you all have heard the uh, saying that a family that prays together stays together. And this will even relate to that. But I'll tell you what we do in our house that really helps. Uh, it helps our marriage and and it helps the, the children from a spiritual standpoint, and it just flows over our household and the foundation of their training. Um, one of the things that I did um, with the Word being our guidebook, I wanted to make it simple to get the Word in my children as they, as they grow up so that they wouldn't depart from it as they got older. I looked at all of the, the Bibles that were designed for children, and I found the best one that would be at their level. And basically, at least five nights a week, we, we read from this Bible. It's called the Day-by-Day Kids Bible. It says, read the Bible in one year, seven minutes a day. And it breaks the Bible up into daily chunks. And I'll talk about two, but this one is for a younger age, I would say, anywhere from uh, 10 or 11 years old down. And it's, it's written, on, written on a very simple level. And, and what they did, and this is usually the child's first introduction to, to reading the Bible. There are many adults who have never read the Bible. Most adults, Christians, have never read the Bible from cover to cover. This book will take them through the Bible from cover to cover in a seven minutes a day in a simple form. So even most of the adults hearing it in this form, they learn a whole lot because they haven't read all of those things. So it, it, it um, and, and, and some of the things that it does... First of all, it, it does leave out the genealogy because as it, kids at that age, they're not going to remember it and the big names. It, it complicated. Most adults don't like to read it anyway. So, so it leaves out the genealogy, number one. Number two, it um, makes it PG, so it waters down the sexual stuff and some of the heavier violence. Uh, number three, it takes the stories that are repeated, like most of your gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that they're telling about the same stories that happened with Jesus. So it takes them, consolidates them into one, but it'll have the different references there. So that shortens it. So it tells it real good at one time and consolidates those. The fourth thing it does is it puts the Bible not in book order, but it puts it in chronological order for them. So, for instance, if David wrote a Psalms about winning a war, it'll have the war in there from an earlier book, and then it will have the Psalms right behind it that talked about the victory of that war. So that in their mind, they can connect it easy because they can see what they're writing and they can understand the flow of history in the Bible better. So it does those four things and it puts it on a second grade level and it allows them to simply understand it. So we'll read this to them every night and then we'll ask them questions about it. And they really have been absorbing the word of God excellent with this resource. I actually had them order it and they have these in the bookstore so you don't have to write it down. So we do have them back there as one resource. Now, my oldest child, he's reading this one, and this is good for teenagers or adults that have never read the Bible all the way through. I mean, I went through all of the versions, and this is a daily Bible. 
that breaks up and goes through the Bible from cover to cover, but it's written on about a fourth grade level, so it really simplifies it, but this is everything here. And, it, 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 and it, if you try to just read it cover to cover, what happens to a lot of people, they, they get in chronicles or sometimes, or, or they get in sections where it's not interesting, and they, and they get off track during the year. So what this does is it takes each day you get an Old Testament passage, a New Testament passage, a Psalms, and a Proverbs. So it, it mixes it up. So even if you do are hit with genealogies, that's, that's only a sliver of that day's reading, and it's not the whole thing. So this will take you through any, for any of your teenagers and adults that have never read the Bible. This is also in the bookstore, as well as the Bedroom Talk book that will go into more details about any of the things that we've said here today. All right. Um, how many singles do we have in here? Raise your hand. We have um, someone who sent in the question, why is it so hard to meet a good man and how to find a life partner? Uh, look at your neighbor and say, it's possible. And look at the other side and say, it's possible. It's possible. All right, because it is. Well, first of all, the answer, the problem is that we are out looking for a man. And the Bible says in Proverbs Chapter 18, verse 22, he who findeth a wife, that means a lot, findeth, he who findeth a wife, he, not she, he who findeth a wife, findeth a good thing. And that really isn't our biggest problem. Yes, we're going out looking, but the biggest problem is, honestly, single ladies, we really don't want a good man. We want that man with the swagger. We want that man who's out, who's got many, many girls looking at him because you want to be proud to have this gentleman on your arm. Well, that swagger and physical appearance, it causes instant combustion, right? He's the one when he calls you, just get the chills and just get excited. But there are other women who want that same type of man. This combustion is felt by many other women. The good men are truly overlooked because they're not standing out and don't have debonair qualities, but they have great jobs, they're faithful, they call you when they say they're going to call you, they're easy to get along with, they dress regular, not flashy, and are not the most attractive in many cases, but they are like diamonds in the rough. The ones that are the best ones are overlooked and considered, everybody put your fingers up and do these quotes, they're considered friends or friend quality. <laughs> I just can't see myself kissing him. <laughs> but this same person will lay down his life for you and will do everything in his power to make your life perfect. It's hard to overcome these preconceived notions of who we really want. But we as women are looking when we should be waiting. Saving our money to be a contribution to the union, that was hard for me. I had to raise my hand on that one. Instead of relying on a man to come and cancel our debt, mm -hmm. <laughs> women should be canceling soul ties and getting closer to God and learning what it really means to be loved and to love unconditionally. We are looking in the wrong places, but if you must be on the prowl, go to the right places. How many? We got a lot of cougars. Y'all know what the cougars are, these older <laughs> women who are looking for these younger men. Well, what I'm about to tell you, please don't listen to it because I don't want to get in trouble by any of our college people. However, if you want to find someone who is quality marriage material, go to the college libraries. They are full of eligible bachelors that are in school to better themselves. Go back to school yourself and find yourself studying in the library. 
or just go there on the weekends or in the evenings instead of the clubs. Most of the men you meet in the grocery store, they're pretty much married. Many, many of us say, no, they're not. Yeah, they're in there buying what the wife said to pick up on the way home. I mean, they, unless, you know, some of them are bachelors and they have, but most of them go shopping on Saturday morning and they don't go during the week. So most of the men you meet in the grocery store, they're stopping by the store to pick up some milk. You know, the telltale signs are chicken, milk, and, you know, if you see some maxi pads on the belt, I'm telling you, don't listen to anything this gentleman has to say. It was for my sister. No. Okay. And it is sad to say also, but church is no longer truthfully, I mean, just to be very, very honest, it is no longer the real place to come and find your husband because they are on the prowl. They are actually being predators in the church because they know that women are flocking to the house of God in loneliness and they are preying on this emotion. So don't be blinded just because you meet them in the house of God. Singles at church, they are a great way to meet men, but you have to go to the singles ministry. You have to be in the mix where the the singles are actually seeking God and actually trying to better themselves in the presence of God before they try to better themselves with someone else. And as my husband said, online dating is a good way if you follow the guidelines that James spoke about. Where will the type of man I am looking for be found? What are some of the things that he will do? If you want a successful business professional or an executive, chances are he will play golf or tennis, and you need to take up one of these sports. Figure out the hobbies you can expect him to participate in and go to those places with a girlfriend. Amen, amen. And one of the things I forgot to mention about our... uh... I alluded to it in the, the preface about the family that prays together, stays together. With our routine, basically we'll read this for seven to ten minutes. Then we'll ask questions about the, uh, the selection that we're in. And that really makes them pay attention better when you ask questions. They know questions going to follow. They know they better be paying attention. And the third thing is we all pray after that. And we just go around and let each person pray. And that's, that's the reason when you see my kids get up here, they, they know how to pray, but it's because they've been praying at home. So they didn't just pray up here, but they're praying every night at home. So a lot of the dynamics of the families have now changed. Families don't even eat together anymore. They don't pray together anymore. They don't, they don't read the word. So just, I just challenge you to just try that routine that we use in our home just for one week in your home. So get, get one of these Bibles and, and spend that time reading it together, ask the questions together, and then pray together as a family. And uh, most of the routines now in our houses before bed is watching the TV. So the TV has replaced the Word of God in our homes. So I just challenge you to try that and just see the difference in your family dynamics that it makes, even just for husband and wife to pray. And it's just that unity of spirit. And, and the other thing it does is it, it teaches your children for their next generation. So they grew up doing these things with the parents. They'll do it with their children. It'll come back into the memory. But parents a lot of time don't even read any kind of books to the kids anymore. They just let the TV mm-hmm. entertain them. So challenge you to get that and just try it for a week and just See, that routine makes a difference in the way you feel with your kids at night. If You send them to bed with this on their mind. And a definite bedtime for parents with children. That is so important. If you know your children are in bed at 8 o'clock, then it's easier to get a babysitter to come and sit with them if you all need to go out, if you have another function, if you just want to be alone in your bedroom without any interruptions. And there's so many teenagers that are in neighborhoods and, and subdivisions that want to work. 
And if you're uncomfortable with leaving them for a long period of time, just invite the teenager to come and sit with your children while you and your husband enjoy an evening in the basement, um, just in the bedroom, whatever it may be. There is a way for you to find time for one another. And teenagers, they're usually inexpensive. Now, if you find one of them that really is telling you what they want per hour, <laughs> then you might want to just say, okay, you know, we'll use you one time, but we're going <laughs> to look elsewhere. College students are also always looking for a job because they need to make ends meet, and parents aren't always sending money for them to have the the luxuries that they desire when they're in school. So try to use wisdom in planning your evening. It is so important for you to still date one another. It is so important for you to just look. My husband, when we first got married, he, he would hug me. And it would just bother me when he stopped me and hugged me while I was doing what I was doing. But now I realize, and I actually wait for, I walk up to him and hug him. Because I realize that that's him sh- Excuse me, showing me affection. I've never really been an affectionate person. I was a tomboy. So all of the stuff I did, you know, you punch me, I'm happy, you know. That's the kind of way I grew up with two brothers, you know, hit me in the arm, I'm good. And he had to bring that essence of love into my life that I did not have before. But now I'm able to, to love him and hug him and accept his love because I wasn't raised. He, he knew that. And he realized he had to add that affection. He was a, his family was affectionate. My family wasn't. So we have made a wonderful compromise in that we now are, are working together in the area that he needed affection and I needed to give more affection. So work together. We thank you all for your patience with us. And that concludes our talk. And we have these resources in the, the bookstore. And I see Elijah that closes out today. We have to uh, run to another engagement. So, My father oh. is 80. And they're having um, a birthday celebration at his church. He was a pastor there for 42 years, and they're giving him a birthday party. And they started, well, probably when we got up to speak. So we're just going to exit now and go on and and celebrate with 80 years with him. Amen. But but I pray to the Lord that you got something out of today's question and answer session. We thank you. You are listening to airjesus.com and theonlineword.com. This message is number 8221. That's 8221. The title of this message is Relationship Questions and Answers by James and Stephanie Bronner. Listen to airjesus.com and theonlineword.com often and keep your spirit charged up.